since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is The Big Spot. And we are here today to discuss one of Shakespeare's stranger plays, perhaps. Um, Very popular with audiences. Not as popular with some critics. Um, Including us, maybe. (laughs) As as you like it, Aiden. As As, you like it. As I would like it to be a slightly different play um, <laughs> but it is it is it's a it's a pastoral wonderland type of play that these characters get out of the hustle and bustle of courtly life and go out into the idyllic country and uh that's where we fall hijinks and sue hijinks and sue i think you actually just wrote the 30 seconds synopsis. i know i did but it's list. your turn to actually do the synopsis so are you ready for that Aiden? uh i'm as close to ready as possible so if soon as you have a clock ready I will pursue my attempt. Pursue your attempt? I will pursue an attempt. An attempt will make, be made. I, I need to make sure that it, it was on 20 minutes instead of 30 seconds. I don't know what I was timing for what 20 minutes. Right. Maybe a nap? I don't know. Actually, it was. It was, it was. You know, the last time you said, I need a nap. I need 20 <laughs> minutes. So I put it on my phone. So well, that's what that is. was. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? We, uh, names. Okay, yes, I'm ready. Names. You're not, you never I'm not get the names right. Names anyways. We've been doing so this podcast for four years. You've got okay. no names right at all. Point. Start. Orlando has is the younger brother of a guy named Oliver, I think. Uh, and Oliver's the mean old brother and kicks him out of town. Uh, meanwhile, there's a duke who kicked his older brother, the old duke, out of town. Uh, also kicks the, the old duke's daughter out of town. They all go out into the country along with the the, the bad duke's daughter. Uh, hilarity ensues. Literally, that's most of it. Uh, there's a bunch of deus ex machining going on at the end. And then there's four weddings and a conversion. So <laughs> it's a little like a Hugh Grant movie, four I guess wedding. you could say. <laughs> Four Weddings and a Conversion. I don't yeah. remember that film, but I mean... <laughs> it's a classic. Is it Richard Curtis? Cinema. Richard Curtis Yeah, is he the, did all yeah. that. Yeah. Four yeah. Weddings and a Funeral, Four yeah. Weddings and a Conversion. Did we the... watch Four Weddings and a Funeral? Oh, yes. We've watched we've Four Weddings. It? Oh, many times. I don't remember it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of those movies you put on on a Sunday afternoon when you, you're kind of like, you don't really want to watch a movie, but it's like on. It's there. You're going to fold laundry or do dishes or nap, as it were, yeah. and... Uh, Okay. Yeah, you've definitely seen Four Weddings. I don't remember it at all. Anyway, as you like good, it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to that one. Not not a bad synopsis. Um, I, I think you captured all of the. Well, I missed Jackwees. 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 Jacks. I call him Jakes. Jacques. Jacques. But it's Jackwees. It's Jackwees. Which apparently, uh, I, I I'm not sure of the etymological origins of that, but I read somewhere that Jackwees is kind of linked to the word for toilet which may be how we get the word john for toilet because jack and john right there you go yeah john yeah so so jayquies is uh (laughs) he is a bit of a human toilet in this in this play he's just a downer he is he's he's a downer he's a bit of a shit stack Uh, (laughs) (laughs) right off the top right off the top so sorry liz you're gonna give us some some production history well no it just a little bit of of context for the play so it was uh, believed to have been written around 1599 it was first published in the folio the first folio probably performed um 1603 i think is the yes wilton house at wilton house in 1603 according to wikipedia good good source a great source Mm -hmm. um and yeah, it's it's one of those plays that I think it's proved very popular with the audiences, mm-hmm. which has uh, throughout the the history of its of its its production history, I guess, um, and uh, and not so popular with the critics. There are some critics who who think it's great, and and certainly Harold Bloom, noted mm-hmm. Shakespearean scholar, um, believes Rosalind to be one of the most well-rounded and, and best female characters in the entire Shakespearean I'll, canon, I'll which I may not disagree with. No. Um, but you certainly have a lot of uh, pushback against the idea that it's a great play. I don't think anybody would yeah. count it amongst 
you know, we're, we're in the era of, you know, we just did Julius Caesar. Yeah. We're coming up on Hamlet and Macbeth and, and the like the great big canon, tragedies, yeah. big tragedies. Yeah. It's not those. No. Um, but it's not as ridiculous as some of the earlier plays, but it certainly feels like it, it doesn't have the kind of weight to it that... Um, some of the these later plays do no, have it. It, def- it almost actively tries to d- dispel itself of any. Weight, well, and you I know? think so. I think this is where, like, uh, um, I think it was George Bernard Shaw who was highly critical of of uh, with a lot of things that came out of <laughs> Shakespeare. Yeah, um, but I think it was him that I was I was reading about where it just it feels like it it's a silly play that has this attempt at philosophical musing yeah. thrown in there or or something but it doesn't feel like they're part of the same play and I really struggled when I was reading it because it I couldn't really get the tone of the play well, yeah but but having said that we watched it we've seen it performed live brilliantly before covid hit we mm-hmm. it was the last live performance we got to see and it was wonderful it's a wonderful play to watch to study it I'm not sure that it's worthy of the kind of deep down deep dive um, analysis that you would yeah, expect it's, from it's, other it's plays. entertaining or can be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, the version we saw live was uh, it all the wrestling. It, they really played up the wrestling as like professional wrestling. So they had the characters come down and do like the big showboating for well, the crowd. Well, it was set in Vancouver like in the 1960s, first of all, which has sure. I, I think there's you know <laughs> with the professional wrestling thing, I think there that's important context for that too. But it also fit really well with the musical aspects of this well, play, which is yeah, because with the version we. Shaw was a saw was a Beatles yes and, yes it was uh, Shakespeare yeah. performance so all the musical numbers that were replaced with Beatles songs it also helped drive a lot of the plot like yeah. when they fall in love and when they see each other and uh you know and there's just of course there's a Beatles song for everything so. I wanna hold your hand <laughs> exactly right yeah. so there was a lot of that and it was and it was very very entertaining oh yeah um, for sure then we also watched the BBC production mm-hmm. mostly for Helen Mirren let's be honest uh, <laughs> he has a young in... lovely Helen yes. Mirren as Rosalind yes. which is uh, really quite entertaining and she she was very good in that but the, but it played did or the, that production struggled a bit I'd say under the yeah. weight of trying to again stay super faithful to the script it had right. all the songs the songs are very uh, yeah. not not catchy they're not the Beatles no uh, they're definitely. not the Beatles <laughs> uh, there's one where there's two young children just rush out and sing for like what feels like five and a half minutes of just nonsense about falling in love yeah and the kids are brilliant singers sing way better at you know nine than I could my whole life combined <laughs> all the years scrammed into one minute couldn't sing as well as these kids but it's boring. It's it's yeah. it was not it was not a very thrilling production to watch. Um, this one was also interesting because they filmed it outdoors. They filmed yeah. it in the forest. They tried to really nail that mm-hmm. feel, and in some ways it worked, in some ways it didn't. Um, but I don't think it. I think it, it it fell closer to the reading of the play, which is as yeah. you said, just kind of boring. And that's it is interesting because the title itself is is maybe alluding to a kind of um way of reading it almost. well a way of reading it, but also uh, the the general attitude of the playwright himself mm. um there's been some suggestion made that that shakespeare wrote this deliberately to be crowd pleasing yeah in which case great success yeah huzzah yeah, yeah. but uh the title saying as you like it yes not as not I as like, I like it, not okay. as I would have preferred this to be written, <laughs> yeah. but as you like it. This is yeah. what you want. I'm going to put all these characters on on stage, and certainly there are a lot of very interesting characters that that come up throughout yeah. the play. Rosalind is brilliant. Yeah, Jayquees is interesting. Interesting. Um, Orlando is ridiculous yeah. at times. Yeah. Um, the whole Duke Frederick, Duke Senior, uh, Orlando, yeah. Oliver. Yeah. You know the yeah. the duel. Yeah. Fighting going on between them, the familial fighting. Touchstone is is great. There's a lot of interesting characters that certainly would have captivated an Elizabethan audience. Yeah. They kind of um, all overstay their welcome. They in do respects though, yeah. especially Touchstone. Like when he's going on and on about the seven insults that you can give at court at the end of the play. You're like, this should be this should be the part where you're driving towards that wedding. And yes, Brana would have like, had three dance sequences by now. Oh my god, and it's just so long, and it and yeah. it's not interesting, and it does nothing. It has doesn't connect to any of the themes really beyond you know the court versus country kind of uh, distinction. So it really does make you wonder why they're there in the first place. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. Like, it's a very thematic play. Like the 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 doubles are obviously there for great contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of love 
uh, talked about. Um, there's obviously with the cross-dressing with uh, Rosalind turning into Ganymede yeah. uh, is is very prevalent and how that connects with the love. There's some interesting themes there mm-hmm. that he's kind of woven in, um, but they don't come to great effect. I, I think I kind of, when I... When I went, my first note in our notes was it's not a play that's very concerned with plotting, connecting characters, or really being that funny. It's very concerned about being clever and yeah. um, doing some crowd pleasing in other ways. And like there's the, some there's there's some moralizing too, a little bit about yeah. what does it mean to be a lover, and yeah. how how do you comport yourself when is that a word comport? Yeah. Well, how do you how do you handle yourself when you're in love? Mm-hmm. What's the appropriate steps to be taken, or what yeah. are the appropriate steps? And, and um, again, I think you're right that the thematically it's it's much more interesting to look at in terms of what is the play seeming to say about this topic yeah. rather than um, about the plot itself. Because yeah. the plot really doesn't seem to be... Anything. And, and we'll talk <laughs> about it, but one of the most important weird things that I remember from the play is that there's all these scenes of you know, deer horns and cuckolding and talk about how marriages are always destined to end in affairs. And yet the play ends with four, four marriages. marriages. Yeah. It's like four weddings at the end of the play. And they're all going to end in what? Like, is this, what is the play really trying to say yeah. here? And I think that that's a case where the theme says one thing, but the plot says something else. Or, well, or what is actually being written down it, is, is says something else. And, and it's interesting to touch on the uh, Folger uh, modern reading essay yeah. for this. This Again, we'll find a link to in the description. Uh, it was really good for it, just laying out barely that the, the plot is a very messed up structure. Everything happens in the first act and the fifth act. Right. And there's three acts in the middle where almost nothing happens. Yeah. It's basically just the Lots Ganymede. Lots of conversations. Yeah, and, it's, it's yeah. just banter and it's it's discussion of these themes, but there's right. no plot. Nothing's actually happening right. beyond, uh, you know, stuff that happens again off stage with uh, Oliver and uh, or, Orlando saving um, him. And that's... Father and daughter reunion. Yeah, which also happens, which is just mentioned. Right. Like, there's a lot of these key that could have been key plot elements, um, he just bypasses in favor of just having a good old romp at the idea of Rosalind being a woman when she is a woman in a man, but a man playing a man, playing a woman. It's it's one of those super confusing uh, Shakespeare cross-dressing instances, too. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. So I think one of the the first themes that really comes up is um, the idea of family Mm -hmm. and familial relationships. So right off the bat, you have two brothers who are fighting um, in Orlando and Oliver. Literally, Oliver has hired a wrestler to come and break his brother's neck. Like, he wants him dead. Um, So definitely a very sour relationship, all based on this idea of primogeniture, which um, doesn't allow for younger sons like Orlando to inherit anything from the father's estate. And all he wants is his fair shake in life, and Oliver will not give that to him. Contrast that with Duke Frederick and Duke Sr., um, where the younger brother has usurped the older brother and banished him to the forest. And um, and I think that... I don't know necessarily. Um, we're not. Uh, it's funny that you're you, that the Orlando and Oliver situation makes you side with Orlando, yeah. but the Frederick and Senior relationship makes you side with Senior. senior. Yeah. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily well, to be said about that. Although the, the idea of primogeniture does play into it, but I don't well, know if and that's. It also plays into uh, Rosalind and Celia? Celia's yeah. inheritance eventually of their father's estate and the fact that uh, Orlando, by marrying in, will eventually become the Duke. Right. You know, like there's. I, I, there was another actually really good thing from the essay was that uh, the play raises both of these issues. Mm-hmm. Raises like, is it better to be the older son or the younger son? Right. And it never answers it yeah, because no. it gives you those conflicting things. Exactly. It's like they set up this uh, opposites and then they say they're both equally good, equally yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of similar throughout, actually. I yeah, think a the lot play of the other does things, that with everything. Yeah, it's like, here, right? well, column A, column B, you decide as you like it, right? Yes. It's, it's literally putting the onus on us as an audience to kind of decide where we sit. Yeah. Um, You'd think we would have a really great ancient bickerings for this episode, but we just (laughs) don't. So as you'll see at the end of this episode. But um, the other familial relationship that that, uh, is played into is obviously Rosalind and Celia as cousins. They have a very close bond. In fact, some scholars and critics have uh, read into this as being a 
uh, a same-sex lesbian yes. relationship between yeah. Rosalind and Celia, and um, and it's interesting that they they're totally devoted to one another to the to the point that when Rosalind is banished from court, Celia, who has no reason to leave court, goes with her. Yeah. And so, and, and the only reason Rosalind was allowed to stay was because of the love that Celia had for her in the first place. So they're clearly very, very close. But as soon as Rosalind and Orlando pair off, Celia is, you know, basically left yeah. to her own devices almost, yes. right? Like she's supplanted by Orlando. So the primacy of the marriage bond takes precedence, obviously. Yeah. Uh, that's not a, uh, that sentence doesn't make sense. <laughs> Marriage is more important than family. Yeah, which in is, this one, which is yeah. kind of odd because, and it, again, it's it's interesting that, like, in this one, uh, the the pressure, it's unlike Romeo and Juliet, basically, right. like, where the parents were controlling marriage. In this yeah. case, it's the marrying people mm-hmm. who control marriage. Same mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Midnight Summer, Midsummer Midsummer, Street, yeah. too, right? Um, yeah, this is kind of an inversion of that and putting it all in, basically, Rosalind yeah. in her hands, right? Yeah. Um, her very capable hands, very capable I will hands. say. She is, she is quite the little Cupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a definitely an inversion of, of the expectation. And I think part of it is because they are out in the country and where man's rules are, are pushed against yeah. nature's, perhaps, and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess that really leads into a, a discussion about love, generally yeah. speaking, in terms of um, the, the idea that in this play... Um, romantic love is seen as in a very narrow kind of specific f- um, frame I guess it's Petrarchan love it's it's courtly yeah. love and it's very much made fun of in this play which I find yeah. very ironic considering that Shakespeare wrote 154 sonnets many of which were dedicated to lovers of his yeah. um, and and based on Petrarch's sonnets <laughs> yeah. so I mean it's not it's funny that somebody would would you know, ape the thing or, or make fun of the thing that he's actually participating in. But, um, but there's this sense that, that the courtly Petrarchan love is somewhat artificial. And that's why Rosalind has to train Orlando to be a better lover because he goes around weeping, sighing, writing verses on paper and pinning them to trees because he's so in love and he just can't handle himself. And it's ridiculous. And so does Sylvius. Yes, exactly. It's, it's this, it is. It's it's a target of it's a point of ridicule, um, but it is the love that ultimately is upheld. At the same yeah, time, it these is. are the people who get married. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think, and it's interesting that even Rosalind has this love. Like when she finds out, that, oh for sure, that uh, what's his name is there, Orlando. She's like, tell me more. Where was he? What is? She asks like a million mm-hmm. questions of of her cousin, and of course, uh, it's played for laughs. But mm-hmm. it is this kind of um, sense of love that that is it is intense and burning and yeah. uh wasteful uh it is not the the productive love of family or so forth um or even it, of, of marriage necessarily yeah, exactly. i think that's yes. the other contrast is that there's um there's like the the first blush crush kind of yeah um passionate love that you have as a young person and then there's the i, I like the word productive productive love that mm-hmm. comes from um when a marriage produces children or whatever and that seems to be but even that is is kind of upturned i think because we find out as we already mentioned that marriages don't always end up happily they end up with the women as we saw in much ado about nothing and or heard rather in much ado about nothing um the women are just going to cuckold the men no matter what and uh so it's it's like which and again the play presents both and yes. and says, well, courtly love is ridiculous, but here are these marriages. You need to cheer for them. Marriages are bad, but here are these marriages. You need to cheer for them. Yeah. How, what do you? Where do you fit? Where do you? Where do you fall? Yeah, it's kind of like they he he just glommed onto uh, Benedict from Much Ado and was like, yeah, his complaints about marriage. I'm just gonna write a whole play where everyone does that, but then they're happy. Yeah. When they're while they're doing it. It, it's it's yeah. a very bizarre kind of thing to like complain about love out of one character um, and then to uh, attach it to all the other characters and yet have those ones that are attached to the weird love yeah. be the heroes. Right. It's yeah, it's it's again, it's a play that doesn't give you any answers. It doesn't it doesn't lead you down any singular road. It's Mm-mm. it's it's as you like it. I just can't. <laughs> it I, can't, is. I can't you it can't is. avoid that no. that thing really. Um, the other one, the one that is really interesting to me, uh, and we'll get into it again right away, is uh, 
Ganymede. Right. And uh, forcing Orlando to love uh, Ganymede. Yeah. As Rosalind. Yes. Um, the first. You mean game- Rosalind as Ganymede. No, he's forcing. No, she is forcing Orlando, Orlando to, to love, love Ganymede. Yes. Pretending it's Rosalind. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess you're right. It is. See, it's so confusing. It really, really is. Um, I just like to say this is the first same-sex marriage is performed <laughs> on stage here uh, through uh, Celia. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's, it's just a weird kind of uh, structure because it's, it's so obviously um, performative and it's so obviously for the audience's benefit purely. It makes no sense for <laughs> Orlando as a lover to try and persuade like to practice wooing on a man um pretending to be a woman pretending to be a woman right uh who's actually a woman uh why why doesn't rosalind just revert back to rosalind but i think i think the point is uh, and and this is where rosalind's um there's two things i want to say about this first one is that i agree with harold bloom that rosalind is probably one of the um if I could go back and re-record our Women in Shakespeare yeah, episode, I would include Rosalind, having not read it at the time that yeah. we recorded that episode. Yeah. I think I would include Rosalind uh, higher up on my list because she does seem to be very self-possessed. She's very self-aware. Um, she's breaking the the rules, the quote-unquote rules of Shakespearean um, uh, women. Well, the way that courtly characters would speak in yes. verse and... Yeah. And then the lowly characters would speak in prose. Rosalind has a very direct forthrightness to her speech. And so mm-hmm. she doesn't use verse. She's she's just telling it like it is. And I think that her recognition, she loves Orlando. There's no doubt about that. But she wants to make him the better lover, a better lover for her. Make him more worthy, I guess, or mm-hmm. something. When she sees that he's sighing and pining and 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 pinning notes, love notes to trees, she's like, "This is, this is ridiculous. This is not going to work." So I'm going to take it upon myself to train him to be the yeah. man that I want him to be, yeah. or that I know that he can be. Yeah. And so I think that might be one reason. It's it's convoluted, and it certainly is meant as a, a an exercise in. Um, comedy for the Elizabethan audience that yeah. would have been watching it. Um, but it definitely has, I, I think it fits with her character to have her um, manipulate him a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like she's smarter than him. She's going to oh, do yeah. this to make sure that, that she gets something out of this deal, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I think that's that's one reason why I think um, she doesn't just, hey, I'm Rosalind, let's get married. Because yeah. then she'd enter into a marriage that was, yeah, this Ridiculous. is her chance to check and make sure that he's yeah. actually the man she thinks he is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of get it that way. The other side of that is, again, for an Elizabethan audience, um, they would have readily recognized the character of Ganymede. Yeah. So from ancient mythology, for those of you who aren't up on your on your Greek, Greek. and Roman mythology, um, Ganymede was uh, a lover of Zeus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became the model for... Uh, the the uh, practice of pederasty, mm-hmm. right? Which we've talked about on this podcast before. So when older men would court and and take as lovers these young men, um, in fact, I think the the Latinized word for Ganymede became the adjective or the the proper noun or whatever for the for that younger person. Oh, really? So it was like a title almost. Hmm. You were the Ganymede in this relationship. Yeah. So. So for uh, an Elizabethan audience that that you know would have been now starting to be versed in the classical yeah. literature again, they would have understood right away who Ganymede <laughs> well, was. It, it definitely adds something to the whole wooing of Ganymede well, by, by Orlando, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's that's interesting. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That's that's well. So I think amazing. I think Shakespeare is being very clever there, but mm-hmm. it also um, adds a bit of fuel to the. The fire of, is this a same-sex love affair? Because you Both have ways. to you have to consider also the fact that this would have been a young boy. Yes. On stage playing, playing Rosalind, Rosalind, playing Ganymede, yeah. playing, uh, what's the woman's name? Oh, he plays Rosalind. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm confused. So there's <laughs> there's so many layers of of cross dressing, of yeah, gender yeah. bending yeah. 
for lack of a better term, I can't think of what the more appropriate term would be, um, that it it does get very muddy. You almost have to just, like, as an Elizabethan, it would be kind of funny, I think, to just watch this boy, (laughs) you know, because it would have been a boy. Yeah. And Orlando would have been a man on stage, the actors themselves. Yeah. So... They would have a, they would have had no problem understanding what was happening here. Yeah, is that what Shakespeare intended? I think that's the question that critics like to to play around with, especially when it comes to reading same sex relationships. Remembering entirely that homosexuality and heterosexuality, as we define them, were not the way that yes. anybody defined them back then. Your sexuality was not black and white. Yeah, there were black no, or white. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, it was it it would have been very clear to them what was what was actually being said. So I don't know if that changes how we're supposed to read it now. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those ones where obviously gender is a huge focus of, of the play in that regard, just for uh, for this play in specifically, but also for, you know, it's it's a, it's a recurring theme that's come up many times in, in Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so, like, Ro- Rosalind is, in some ways, feels like kind of a culmination of, of a lot of Shakespeare's cross-dressing women, I mean, I know we haven't gotten to uh, Twelfth Night yet. Right. Um, but in terms of this one cross-dressing, then cross-dressing again. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's, taken to absurd comic lengths, yeah, right? But yeah. it's, it's if we were to compare Rosalind to other uh, cross-dressing heroines from Shakespeare's canon. Yeah. Like, um, like Portia in The Merchant of... Like Portia in The Merchant of Venice... I almost said Merchant of Menace. I don't know what play <laughs> that is. Aiden's the Merchant of Venice. Yeah. Um, Portia, who again takes this, um, she takes on uh, the masculine role in order to assert herself in a field in which she would have no power otherwise. I think that also kind of fits with Rosalind. There's a little bit of a, a similarity there between the two because yeah. um, Rosalind takes, she's, She's not a forthright character until she becomes Ganymede, right? Then she takes more of a stand in the forest. Like, obviously, she's scheming with Celia, but yeah. she's deferential to the Duke. And she's, you know, it's 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 only when she becomes Ganymede that she is um, able to, I think, have that kind of license to speak freely sure and again she's in the forest she's in she's in Arden, yeah. so it's it's a nice little break from uh the strictures of courtly life um so in that way i think portia and um Rosalind. and rosalind are, are very similar mm-hmm. other characters like viola in 12th night which it's been a while since we read it so you know pardon us if we <laughs> get it wrong yeah. but i think in that case there's a survival it's almost survival mode for Viola to dress as a man to infiltrate a. Well, it's similar here too. Like they they initially do that when they're gonna set off. They're like, well, one of certainly. us is gonna have to be to be a man, and certainly it's yeah. safer to be a man traveling yeah. in these Robin Hood war- woods of of Warwickshire, yeah. wherever the hell this play is set. I thought it was supposed to be France, but okay. well, we'll get to the <laughs> setting. I think there's it's. It's complicated, but but she doesn't have to stay in that role the entire time. When she's in the forest and she's among friends, it's like she doesn't have to keep up the pretense, but she does. Yeah. So it's not it's no longer about survival at that point. It's it's about something deeper. There's something else going on there, which is maybe why you know it's it's more interesting to to look at this as like a subversive gender fluidity kind of thing, right? Yeah. Not saying that that Viola is gender fluid, but. She's kind of gender fluid. You mean right? Rosalind? Rosalind, sorry, Rosalind. Did I say yeah. Viola? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's another one of those things where it's it's like a double negative. If you go to a triple negative, people, you literally, your brain can't yeah. comprehend it. Right. It's kind of like that. When you get to this level of gender bending, yeah, you're just like, okay, it's it's funny because the char- there's dramatic irony there. The characters don't know that she's a woman, but is yeah, she, but she's yeah. played by a man. Like it's it's. It, it just passes that point of mm-hmm. being able to track it competently mm-hmm. and your your mind just kind of goes with whatever is being presented by the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's that's really all you can take out of this play in terms of gender. It doesn't it doesn't really say too much because it, it has that survival aspect and then it has this empowering aspect. Mm-hmm. It has uh, her, her choosing her own 
husband. Yeah. Um, but then it also seems to have like Cupid and the gods choosing right. the husbands right. for them. You know, like it's it's really not a and Hyman giving her away right. at the end of the play is, right. is very strange too, right? So like there, there's literally again with this one. Um, I'm not going to say it, but it's it's up to the it's up to the as viewer. As you like it, yes, it's up for interpretation, <laughs> I'd guess, and it doesn't lean one way or the other. It just it does seem interesting that in 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 terms of it's the only play where the cross dressing aspect doesn't necessarily need to happen for the whole time that it does. So it does make you wonder yeah. why it's happening for so long, and and you could have all all kinds of theories well, about it. I mean. They've already introduced themselves, her as a man, when they first arrive in the forest. Yeah. I don't think they could just switch back and be. Uh, like, but would they? Would they mind? Probably. I mean, this is Maybe. the thing: the, uh, the, yeah. the people yeah. out in the in the forest are just happy and yokels, whatever, happy right? Yokels. Yeah. Well, they're a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Yokel has a different connotation, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Anyway, uh, speaking of yokels, you want to talk about the fools? Let's do that. There's a couple of fools. There's Touchstone and Jaquies, I think. Touchstone is the I, official fool. Jaquies is the wannabe fool. I don't think Jaquies is a fool at all. He wants to be so bad. He, he wants does. the license. He wants to be yeah. able to say what he wants. But he says it anyways. He does. But he does it in like a morose poet. I think he's more of the Shakespeare stand-in, honestly. I feel Jaquies? like Yeah, he's he's How the, do you figure? He's the he's the deep thinker. Like not Shakespeare is But he's ridiculous. Is, so Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> so I no, I'm just saying like I, I think they're I think they're two I don't think Jaquies and Touchstone are the same, are the two halves of the coin here. I think it's kind of more like Jaquies and Rosalind are actually Thing. Well, okay. Jaquies yes. is very much just like theoretical. He doesn't do anything. He just is morose and goes around and has no action. Uh, he has no AP points. Uh, if we're gonna AP go points? Yeah, okay, APs, I guess. I. It's a, what is that? It's from video games, role-playing games. You have action points and you can use them to do things. I hear AP and I think advanced placement. Yeah, okay, well, that's because you're a teacher and not a okay. nerd who plays I'm like, Breath there are fire, no AP okay? points. Well, this is it, not a thing. <laughs> Fine. Point is, Jaquies does nothing. Rosalind does everything in this play, um, and I think Touchstone is is kind of a standalone fool. I think you're supposed to draw the comparison because they're both silly figures, um, but Touchstone is is a fool in the King Lear. He's sense. a very traditional. He's a fool. traditional fool, yes. and Jaquies is a traditional moralizer who's just there to shit on everything. Yes, but in if you if you look at what the fool actually does in Shakespeare, and the fool is yes a comic character, but the fool is supposed to see through the artifice and get to the heart of the matter, but which does, Touchstone does. Okay, Touchstone yes. does and that. Jack, does Jaquies? Jaquies wants to. Jaquies wishes he could, but he can't because thinking yeah. makes him too sad. But thinking is the only thing that he has going for him, so yeah. he's going to keep doing <laughs> he's it. He's always going to be sad. Yeah. And and so it's it's kind of pathetic. It's yeah. very pathetic. It's not kind of pathetic. Yeah. But that's that's where the difference is between the two. I'm not saying that Jaquies is a fool. I'm saying that he wishes he could be Touchstone, but he can't because he's too much of a deep thinker. Yeah. He takes yeah. himself too seriously. He cries over dead deer in the forest. Yeah. And he's he's like he's just such a, a philosopher. Yes. And and the fact that Shakespeare is making such fun of him, yeah. I think, is really interesting because the play has this philosophical underpinning. As we've mentioned, it asks all these big questions, refusing to answer any of them, yeah. turns us all into philosophers by virtue of not <laughs> making us yeah, think yeah, about yeah. them. Yeah. Um, but yet takes this one overtly philosophical character and turns him into an absolutely ridiculous caricature of and it, it's hard though because thinkers. I agree I agree you're 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 bang on you said it way better than I could ever think it even uh but I I feel like he's a hard character to enjoy watching Jaquies yeah, yeah. and I think that's like it, Shakespeare's making fun of him yeah. but the audience, it's not in a way that the audience can laugh at. Well, but here's It's a the, way where the audience is like, oh man, this guy's terrible. Well, here, but here's the thing. So the the main speech that everybody, even if you've never read As You Like It or seen a production, you know, you know this part, all the world's a stage. It's so ingrained in our, in the English language um, 
they it, you can you can't go without hearing it and there's that part which is we can talk about that i think we do have a a, a note here about performance and the performative aspects of of this play mm-hmm. so the first part of that is the all the world's a stage and men and women merely players that part is kind of separate to the second half which is the seven ages of man yeah. which jaquie's presents as like this is original thought almost in in his words and his yeah. he's like revealing yeah. something essential about the human he's doing what he what he sees touchstone doing he's trying to do yeah. but that seven ages of man would have been so well known by everybody in the audience at the time it was not something brand new Shakespeare didn't invent it this was something that was a well-known uh I want to use the word parable but that's maybe not the right the right word for it everybody knew what this was mm-hmm. and Jaquez reduces it to um first of all presents it as if it's his own thought and then reduces it to like absurd generalizations that don't fit because you get that scene right before Orlando brings Adam onto stage Adam who is in the last age of man yeah. and is definitely not sans teeth sans everything yeah. he's he's loyal he's he's trying so yeah. hard to be virile he's passionate you know and and so you i think the audience would have totally understood yes jaquees is ridiculous because yeah you know they they would have seen him as maybe not a pathetically sad character but a sad character nonetheless who they can laugh at because this is still a comedy and nothing jaquees does is um he's not i don't get the same sense of sadness about watching his story as i do when i watch malvolio in twelfth night yeah yeah well you're never supposed to although malvolio malvolio is not really a fool Eh. Festi is the fool in that play, right? Yeah, I but I think I think Jaquees and Malvolio, fool, yeah, yeah, and they're they're kind of they're ridiculed similar. by the other characters, I yeah. think, as opposed to by the yeah. audience, right? Right. I to don't think extent, the audience is, is going to ridicule Jaquees, but that's, I think they're they're yeah. going to look at him. They're going to see through the artifice of what he's saying. He's 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 that guy. When you're in university who, like, sits at the, the college campus bar in the back corner and, like, smoke chain smokes Luckies and wears, like, black, all black and his sunglasses on and it's 10 p.m. And, and he just rattles off, like, bullshit that he heard in his intro philosophy course about Nisha or whatever. Like, that's, that's Jaquees, right? <laughs> He's just a ridiculous guy. We all know guys like that. That's Jaquees, right? I guess. I mean, in the in the Helen Mirren production, it they played him a little more serious than that, I think. And it was he was a little less. I think the other characters enjoyed his presence more than you would yeah. that kind of guy. But I, I know what you mean. Like that that's that's the kind of uh, pseudo intellectualism yes. that that's kind of being expressed here. And I, I yeah, I agree. I think that's it's it's interesting that he seems to be putting that onto. I think he might be capable of becoming a fool maybe but, but, he, but he's so, he say, so buried into this role of being a sad dude in the well, forest that's, that's the thing like he i'm sure there's a there's a line where he says that he could like the things that make him melancholy are the very things that he can't stop doing so yeah. it's like yeah. his travels and his thinking or whatever yeah. are what makes him melancholy but i'm just gonna keep doing it yeah. basically yeah. and and that is i mean at that at some point it's it's kind of like well okay i, I I'm not. I'm not going to listen to you anymore because, like, I've given you everything. Like, I've given you all my, <laughs> all I've got. Everything. Yeah. Um. But I can't. I can't. Can't take you to water. Well, I can take you to water, but I can't force you to drink. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So is that is that where we see Jaquees? I don't think he's a fool in the traditional sense. Of course not. But I think that he's he's seen as kind of a foolish character. Yeah. In That's the modern funny. sense of the word "foolish," I don't know how the how an Elizabethan audience. I shouldn't. I shouldn't try no, and yeah. pin that down. But. It is. It is tough to tell, but yeah, that's no, that's good. I agree, Lindsay. Well done. If music be the food of love, play on. So, continuing on with this performative aspect of uh, what Jaquees is doing, I yeah. think there's as Shakespeare likes to do. There's lots of references to. Uh, plays and what is what is being performed here um, with the costume changes I guess that Rosalind yeah. would have been undergoing the the outward appearance of the main heroine I think is uh, 
putting on the role of Ganymede, putting on a role of the lover in Orlando's case. He goes from being a fighter to a lover, right? Um, there's there's something. I was gonna say it's artificial, but I don't know. Is it artificial? Yeah. Is yeah, this an think, artificial performativeness I think, or? I think there's. Again, it's one of those ones where it's it's hard to tell because he does seem to be indicating that, uh, like even Jaguiz, yeah, Jaguiz's performative kind of melancholy mm-hmm. um, versus Touchstone's real wit, you know, right. um, or Orlando's, uh, you know, uh, pleading with Ganymede mm-hmm. uh, as Rosalind mm-hmm. versus Rosalind's love for Orlando being right. pure and, and unperformative. Yeah. I think there's. Yeah, I think I think it's really, really indecisive about what's 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 real, what's accurate. I think like even uh, Touchstone, you know, at first he wants to marry Audrey and then dispose of her shortly yes. thereafter. You know, once he's got what he's looking for. Yeah. But then at the end, he does marry her legitimately, yeah. and he's going to stick with it. Like mm-hmm. even the fake love stops being performative and becomes real love. Like I, yeah. it, it is just a play that will not give you a straight answer yeah. about um, whether or not performance is good. Um, and whether or not it can become real, well, where and, that, line, and so, that dividing line. So is. I guess that's that's the question um, is because really, when when you think about any relationship, we can put ours in the spotlight. I mean, you and I, when we first started dating, I mean, anybody who first starts dating, oh, yeah, you, you put, put on the first, best version yes. of yourself, yeah. and eventually it becomes real, and then you're you know going to the bathroom with the door open, yeah. and that's that's where you know. The relationship either matures or doesn't. Exactly. And goes right? with it, yeah. And yeah. so this obviously is at a very early stage in all of these uh, love affairs, and and they're in various stages of gestation, for lack yeah. of yeah. again, lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, I feel like Rosalind and Orlando, even though they've only got like a three or four day head start on everybody else, they have the most mature love. But certainly Rosalind toward Orlando feels like she's thought it out a lot more. Yeah. Orlando seems to be driven by his loins more than anything, which most of the men are in this play. Um, most of men are in every play, maybe, I guess. Um, but it's it's not that the performance of Orlando's love for Rosalind is not true. He does love her. I yeah. think it's just a matter of um, how do you appropriately show love for someone yes. else versus and that's yeah, that yeah. seems to be yeah well it's going to be a performance no matter what right so but, how but, yeah, how how do you properly it? perform love but because then you have Silvius whose love for Phoebe is so real that's literally all he can do is sigh and and be upset he, there's no hint of he's too dumb to be performative you know and yet he has the same aspects of love as the ones that uh Ganymede slash Rosalind are expecting to see in uh, Orlando, and then which Orlando then proceeds to produce, you know, right. the sighing and the the writing terrible poetry and everything. So again, there's no <laughs> there's nothing there, you know. Like I I don't know where where performance starts, where real love ends, where all of these things are just connected into a tightly wound ball of. Well, oh, it's not. Know. They're not. They're not really. I don't think they are meant to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's the point, I think. Yeah, exactly. But it's very that's frustrating because it's, you're trying well, to figure out what what is the play trying to tell me about love and I can't figure it yeah, out. No idea. Because it seems and and I mean maybe that's the fault of us as modern readers and viewers who want yeah. everything to have a neat answer. It's as you like it. Ladies. It's as you like it. Just Fuck. leave it open there. <laughs> Can we talk about city versus country yes, that's, now, that, please? I was just going to say that's that's our next topic. Let's let's dive in there because I think this is actually the thing that does maybe tie everything together is okay. the fact that uh, this is a place you know being performed in London in the heart of the the court, and it is set out in the the wilds. I know wilds that don't make any sense. Like there's lions, yeah. and snakes and palm trees. I think were at one point mentioned. Yeah. Like, so like, but there's cold, rainy, drizzly weather. <laughs> like it's the it's North very of England. Much North England. Yeah. yeah. So like it's it's a very 
fantastical world that they've created and mm-hmm. it's it's very eden-esque you know like there's just there's bountiful nobody ever actually has to work very hard like there's hunters and yeah the only job you can have is tending sheep yeah tending sheep or hunting <laughs> and that's that's kind of it and hunting is not good because you kill the things of god or what i don't ever know but there, so there's this total inversion of um from the courtly sphere in which almost all of shakespeare's plays are are set usually right. and you're in this alternative just like Midsummer Night's Dream was into mm-hmm. this fairy realm and, and in the woods The Tempest has that too Exactly yeah These, Winter's Tale Yeah yeah the ones where they, yeah. there is a change in, in location leads to a change in morality and in right. what's possible and, and it's almost yeah. instantaneous in this play yeah. because when when uh uh, Duke Frederick and Oliver eventually come yeah. down from on high. Yeah. It's like they enter the forest and it's like Narnia has just changed them yeah. instantly. They're yeah. just totally different people and they're lenient and they give up what they previously held dear and everybody is is happy again, right? Yeah. So the power of the, the this pastoral um, setting is really just magnified. Right in this in this place that has no real place. I think yeah. the the interesting part is that a lot of people assume that um, probably rightly that this was set in the Ardennes in France because there are stories featuring a character named Orlando that take place in the Ardennes, and so I think Shakespeare's contemporary audience would have understood that and accepted that. But of course, it was spelled Arden, mm-hmm. A R D E N which is the name of a forest near in Warwickshire, near where Shakespeare grew up, and also the family name of his mother, yes. his mother's side of the family. Um, so is it possible that he was setting this in in a, a an idealized Warwickshire, but mm. also sort of France, but also this mixture of Arcadia and yeah. Eden. Yeah. You have Arden coming from these two uh, biblical <laughs> mm, or mythological, you know, pastoral... Uh, idyllic yeah. settings. Yeah. So there's, and, and that's where you get the lions and the yeah. the palm trees, and yeah. you have you can have all of that because this this forest of Arden does not exist. Yes, and um, and so it allows for yeah. for an interesting inversion of all those, exactly. those morals. And I think that's again that's why when the characters enter into this place, mm-hmm. everything's up in the air. For Any, sure. Anything, love, performance. Uh, gender, all these things can just be tossed whichever well, way because in this world none of that matters. And that's that's I mean that's seen throughout Shakespeare. It's yeah. it's always been that if you can get away from the city, do so because better things are going to happen if you go to Windsor, yeah. um, if you go to the forest outside of uh, the city in in Midsummer, if you go wherever your your life will be better it's always depicted better with maybe the notable exception of of king lear because the um yeah, the, yeah. the barren landscape the barrenness <laughs> period of king lear is is really yeah. antithetical to what we're saying but yeah. it's still um i think escaping the city is seen as a good thing yeah right yeah. um because the court is not a hospitable place. No, it's, it's dangerous. dangerous. I mean, you've got a duke who's been usurped yeah. and a brother who's going to get killed. And, and you could be in the duke's good favors one day and then yeah, threatened with the death. Yeah. And he's your blood relative. Yeah. Like you, you have, there's no just loyalty. Cutthroat. Yeah, exactly. In, in a city. nature is just everyone gets along. Absolutely. Everybody's happy. And I, I think... So why does everybody return to the court at the end of the play? I think it's a very... They've been blessed by the, the sanctity of marriage act. No. Sorry, that was another little, little West Wing reference there. But yeah, they, they've been given they they've been given their holy rights in marriage, which is you know a controlling factor, which is you know something a power handed down from a power source, and the power source is always the court. I feel like that's very much a, uh, the the source of where all this is coming from. Is that eventually you're going to wind up back within a conventional structure of some shape right. or form. And that's Once draw you've you been back. legitimized in the in the bonds of marriage, yeah, then you, you can't can you return. can't you can't frolic in the the wonderland anymore. You have responsibilities as mm. as the duke, as uh, a husband, as the eventual wife, heir to the, to heir. the yeah. Like these are all things that are so have real. Arden impact. is is an idealized place that cannot be sustained. Well, I don't think it can be sustained if you want to have the nice things of civilization i think that's kind of what it gets down to is is, yeah you can you can go there for a little bit and actually touchstone touches on this Mm -hmm. in a stone sorry i was trying to look for a bad (laughs) pun there i couldn't find it but yeah he he has this whole thing where he's when he's uh bartering with the the 
Shepard and he's like, it's a good life, but I hate it. But it's a great place, but I, it's not the course. The sheep so are greasy. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, you know, it's it, the fact that I'm outside is lovely. The fact that I'm not at court sucks, you know? Yeah, like, right. he, he literally can't make up his mind whether or not mm-hmm. being in this idyllic place is actually good or not because you lose all the benefits of... It's like being an outlaw. When you're an outlaw, you don't have to worry about anybody's rules, but you don't have the protection of the law to yes, protect yourself, right. too. Yeah. So you're in that kind of situation. You're mm-hmm. the Robin Hood. Yeah. Again, going back to their own references yeah exactly so it's it's uh yeah it's 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 a place where where anything can happen until you do something that can't be undone i guess well yeah i i I think that's probably summing up pretty well i think the other interesting thing about the the uh, pastoral setting is there when i was reading it it was really interesting so i'm like this this is making a good argument for vegetarianism but i know that's definitely <laughs> oh, not yes. what shakespeare was going for but the, the, the whole scene with killing, jake yeah. lee's being upset yeah. about about killing deer yeah and the fact that um the the words that are being used it's it's duke senior also using these words too who has been usurped from his yeah. rightful place in in court he views himself as a usurper now because he's on the deer's home turf and he's killing them yeah. for his meals, yeah. right? And how unfair that is. It's an unfair advantage. And um, and I think that's, that's interesting because there's also, like, the deer poaching laws that, that governs the, what, what was allowed, you know, deer were... Like the, royal. the like sport of the not, royal, yeah, yeah exactly. you couldn't, and or or the very very wealthy. So mm-hmm. I mean, we know about Shakespeare's own um, run-in with the law when he was possibly caught or definitely caught uh, poaching deer um, from a uh, neighboring land up in Warwickshire, yeah. a lord who who caught him poaching deer. Like that was a big That's problem a back then, yeah. right? So for Shakespeare to write about, not that this is deer that belongs to anyone it's just they belong to themselves it seems i don't think the land in the forest well, of arden yeah, it's has really governance clear. like it's probably the duke's lands but it's so but it also seems removed. like it's it's yeah, yeah. so it yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter if it's the duke's lands it's not like he has direct control he's not yeah. there yeah. so these are these are animals that are imbued with uh, a kind of governance of on their own mm-hmm. they have their own reason for being and and that's enough to grant them sovereignty, I guess, yeah. over themselves and yeah. over the land that they're on, which these human beings have invaded. But at the same time, the idea that poaching deer was like a great big fuck you to the yeah. you know upper classes is yeah. is kind of interesting Still that there. you've yeah. yeah it's it's just. <laughs> But it did. It did make like that. That scene where Jaquez is talking about the the deer that's sitting there has been wounded and it's crying and these great too. big yeah. tears. And I'm it's like, Bambi. wow, it's, it's Bambi. Bambi. This is total yeah. Bambi. Yeah, it made me want to go eat a veggie burger, but uh, not really because veggie burgers are gross. But um, anyway, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's. I don't that's, know. Uh, no, I think that's it's another good point about the the whole inversion of of uh, expectations and once you go out into the forest of art. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So, weird play. Weird play. Uh, with a weird bickering, ancient bickering yeah, that I think we're going to jump into. It's, because again, there's nothing about the play that you can argue one way or the other. Well, I think well, there I think is. You could argue, you could argue everything so, about it. But do we care enough to argue about any of this? I think that was no. the problem that Aiden and I yeah. were having when we were coming up with this argument. So the the last theme we were talking about, city versus country life, is what we're going to go with. Well, no. To be particular, Lindsay, and we <laughs> okay. argued about this beforehand, yeah. it is, if you had to choose one, right. is it court or country court or country so i'm not going to specify whether that's like 16th century courts or 20th century court or 21st century court right you have to live in one country court well i think if you're basing it solely on the the morality and the the ethos of the play itself you have to go with country i think i think you have to go with country I would anyway, you just would. because there's there's a freedom of movement, there's a freedom of uh, uh, individuality that comes out when you're in the forest, when you're out in the country, and it's not um, you're not restricted as you would be in in the court. I think that would go whether it is a, an Elizabethan court, whether it was a, an Athenian court, whether it was mm. a modern day 
you know, Buckingham Palace court. Do they still have courtiers? Is that still a thing? I think like all the lords are technically courtiers still. So if you're I don't ever, know. like, Sir Paul is technically a courtier. Really? Does that change your mind? Now, no. Now, you, now you're no, down? No, I want to, I, I mean, I... <laughs> It's funny, Aiden knows this about me, that I've said for a very, very long time that I would never live in a place where the tallest building was a grain tower, which are, they dot the landscape here in Alberta, in the prairies, uh, grain elevators, you know? Yeah. And, and and so, I mean, this is, this is going against type for me, because I am very much a city girl, but I do not want to live in a court. I do not do well with authority figures. No, you don't. I don't want to be told what to do. So I'm, I'm going to frolic. I'm going to be like... Corin, I'm gonna just live free, like Audrey in in the forest. Okay. Um, okay. Are you going? Fair. You were gonna say country too. I was gonna you? say country, but yeah. now I've I, you've actually changed my mind for I've, me, Lindsay, yes. uh, because you made me realize that there's nothing out in the country, and most importantly, there's no services out in the country. I would enjoy going to the theater and having productions put on for uh, my benefit. It might be for the kings or whatever, but mm-hmm. I'd like that. You'd enjoy it too. I'd enjoy it too. I there's there's just something nice about being waited on and not having to cook your own meals and hunch. Can so, you so you're saying I can't I can't like cut <laughs> anything like you, Lindsay. You can't even cut chicken breast. No, you're right. I would have prepared. to find I would absolutely I would have to find someone to do the cooking and cleaning for me. I would still be there's a nobody. That's the whole problem. But you can't when you're no. Out I would in the find country. my own merry band of of <laughs> outlaws and I'd just go live with them. They'd make you do some of the work, Lindsay. They, well, they, they, fine, they, but I'm not skinning chickens. <laughs> or deer. Or deer. Um, see, or yeah, any I, animals. I, I just I prefer my <laughs> conveniences just way too much. And whether that's now in this century or in the past, I, well, I would I think have liked the court for the for the free meals. And so you think you would be like a courtier in the court and have, be waited on? Yeah, obviously. I'd be like Touchstone. <laughs> okay the i could fool? be a pretty good fool yeah exactly everybody loves With your the fool. philosophy degree yeah <laughs> i just have to learn brush up on my latin and greek and i'd be in a pretty good shape i think well but, uh, shakespeare had what was it little latin and less, less greek? greek yes so yeah. you didn't need much I in guess. order to achieve some kind of status that's true i guess i could maybe worm my way in there eventually but um <laughs> yeah no i i i i i enjoy going out into the country every now and then get a breath nice place to visit Yes, a very nice place to visit. Uh, I don't think I'd want to live there for very long. Um, although this one sounds nice. Arden sounds nice. Everybody's just happy and golly and golly? gay. Jolly and gay was what I was going for. But you I went, went with golly. golly and Jay. Uh, they're my new It's like crime the virgins yeah. of menace. Yes, exactly. Uh, golly and Jay. Golly and Jay. Are the virgins of menace. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to a, your yeah, screens exactly. in 2022. That's not a bad take. Uh, I like it. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. All right. Just for me, no. Convenience well, I'm, I'm glad we, we were able to find opposite sides of this because I think uh, either way, it's it's been insufferable living with you. Yeah. You especially during quarantine. years to go. It is for all, all I have. He has eaten me out of house and home. Aiden, what's next on our docket? Next up, we have uh, Shakespeare and the English language is the next oh, yeah. one. So that will be quite... Uh, a hot dog to bite into. I don't know why I chose that I'm meal choice. I'm so at all. excited to hear Aiden <laughs> pontificate on the English language. Aiden using hot dogs, <laughs> making words with his face. This is going to be 1980, probably seven ish. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. And then after that, Lindsay, one of the best plays of them all. Yeah. Hamlet. Yeah. Coming up. I think. I think. I. I I'm excited for Hamlet. Um, we just already discussed we're not going to watch the Kenneth Branagh, much to my chagrin. Lindsay made some very valid points for the two-hour Ethan Hawke Hamlet instead. So uh, I think that's where we're headed to. Um, I might watch Kenneth on my own time. You go perhaps. for it. I think that there's – it's. I, don't know, I think if we, hours, had, if we had time to watch all of the filmed versions, I think we would, we would have a much more thorough understanding of the performance history of these plays, yeah. at least in the 20th century. But um, having said that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Hamlet. I'm curious. It's been a long time since I've read it. I have a feeling I'm going to find it a little overrated. Yeah. And this is the thing about the big the big five, I think we've maybe six. When you look at, you know, Hamlet, Lear, Othello, Macbeth, Julius Caesar, possibly Romeo and Juliet, the ones that people study in 
school. in school, yeah. like the mandatory ones that you study in your grade schools. Um, I think they tend to be overdone, talked to death. There's there's not as much insight left to be gleaned from. The, I'm yeah. enjoying I I'm enjoying the lesser known plays. Is is my point? Um, just because they're they're startling in their their uh, newness to me yeah. anyway yeah the novelty so, is definitely an important yeah fact. so i'm I, I'm i think curious still about, be fun to and that's about. why like, i want to that's yeah. why i want to watch a 20 21st century adaptation of yeah. the play yeah. just to see how it translates because hamlet is such a compelling character yeah. um so i guess you have that to look forward to yeah as yeah. we yeah that's going to be the last one for 2020 we're going to end this oh hellscape God. of 2020 on hamlet, on hamlet. Look, everybody dies at the end of Hamlet, and you end up with what's his face standing up, and and Norway takes over, and yeah. and everything is great again, right? Make Denmark great, great again. again. Okay, we're done here. We're done here. <laughs> You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.